listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. There should be within your reach this morning this, uh, this gospel tract. We're asking you to hand this out. We're asking you to invite people to come to our Good Friday service on the 15th of April and then to Easter Sunday service on the 17th of April. And that Good Friday service will be right here. And so let me encourage you to make plans to be here, but invite a friend. There's a card inside that's got the date and the time of the Good Friday service. Um, but please target someone and be thinking about those around you that don't know Jesus. People are more apt to come to a public gathering on Easter Sunday than any other time. And so we want to try to take advantage of that. But we also want to be faithful witnesses. We want to be ambassadors for Christ. We want to plead with men in God's stead to be reconciled to God. Along with this uh, gospel track we have available for every child as they walk out the back door, um, this, this bracelet. It's a colored bracelet with explanations of what each of the beads means, and it's an easy way for your kids to understand the gospel, but also they could share the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ with their friends. And so if you'd grab one of those on the way out the door for all of our kids that are here this morning in just a few minutes when this service comes to a conclusion. And then if you're here and you don't have a copy of the scriptures or you would just like to have a copy of the gospel of Luke, we've got copies on the back tables back here and upstairs. And this morning we're in Luke chapter 13 and verse number 22 as we just kind of walk through and try to teach through or preach through or whatever you might want to call it, uh, the scriptures this morning. And we're at a passage in Luke that talks about a narrow door. But before we look at the text, before I read the text for you this morning, uh, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about the fact that there are a thousand plus organized religions in the world today. I said a thousand plus organized religions in the world today. And if you want to think about it this way, as we look at the text or think about the text, imagine that there's a hallway and down that hallway, there are a thousand plus doors. And each of those doors represents a religion that is making some appeal to you and saying, Hey, look, if you want to find life, life is found behind this door, go through this door and you can have life, right? Think about that for a minute. For example, if, if eternity for you is, is spending all of your time with 70 virgins, then go through the Islam door. Or if you'd like a planet of your own and you want to be like God, go through the Mormon door. Or if you want nirvana, go through the Buddha door. Or if you want enlightenment, then go through the Hindu door. Or if you want tolerance and you want uh, an emphasis on the matriarchy, which, by the way, you can't turn on the radio or anything on social media or anything on TV without an emphasis on the matriarchy, watch this. Go through the Wiccan door. A lot of folks in the church are into all of these things, but yet we say that we believe in Jesus Christ. As we consider the text this morning, Jesus would not agree and scripture would not agree with the mantra of our culture that all doors lead to heaven. 
Jesus would say the exact opposite. All doors don't lead to heaven. Now, let me say what this is going to make us today if we really believe this. It's going to make us exclusivists. It's going to make us people that are going to seem narrow Minded. It's going to make us into people that are going to be at odds with the culture that is around us. And by the way, it's going to make us at odds with the world that is around us. In fact, it may make you at odds with what our church believes today. And I don't want to do that, but we've got to be, if we're going to be the church, uh, standing on the Word of God. So I'm not going to tell you this morning to just pick any door. That's, that's not only unscriptural, quite frankly, it's unreasonable. It's irrational. I'm going to look at the words of Jesus today, and I'm going to try to talk about what Jesus has said. And then we take that and use that as the authority for our lives as we walk back into the world. So the text beginning in Luke 13, verse 22. He, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Now, now, this is introductory, but if you go back to Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, we realized back then that we had come to the 18-month um, section in Jesus' ministry where he'd spent time training and teaching his disciples, but now he's going on this, Jer this Jerusalem journey for the next 18 months now. He's going to go to Jerusalem. So they're traveling to Jerusalem. So we keep getting these reminders about Jerusalem. Whenever you see Jesus going to Jerusalem, one thing is going to happen in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ is going to die in Jerusalem. Sinners are going to be set free through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he has set his face to go to Jerusalem, and we're reminded again of the gospel that he's journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, so imagine the scene, if you will. Here's a, a group of reporters sitting out in a room, and Jesus is up on the platform behind the microphone, and this is a press conference. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Will the saved be few? And he said to them, so he's speaking to everybody that's at the press conference here that's asking about this. He didn't answer the question directly. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. Interesting. He said, you can worry about who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved, but let me tell you, you need to worry about whether you are saved or not. We spend a lot of energy worrying about who is saved and who isn't saved. When you need to concern yourself, you need to check your own self. And so Jesus answers him right out of the gate. Verse 24, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you came from. Verse 26, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught us in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you came from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Verse 28, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's going to be a terrible place apart from Jesus Christ. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out and people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south. They're going to come from all over the world, not just Israel. And they're going to recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Verse 31, it seems to take a little shift in the narrative. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. That's a plausible threat. Herod did kill John the Baptist. Listen to what Jesus said. And he said to them, go and tell that fox. 
Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Again, Jesus makes reference to the gospel, his resurrection. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Again, a shift. Jesus is seemingly looking out over Jerusalem. And when we come to Luke chapter 19 and verse 41, he is crying over Jerusalem and saying essentially the same thing as his heart breaks for their lost. And so Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He quotes Psalm 118 and verse number 26. Let me just share a few brief thoughts with you as we consider this text this morning. Number one, there is only one narrow door that leads to life. There is only one narrow door that leads to life. Let me say this. All of your life and the life of everybody in this room and on this planet is a response to that door. Your life is a response to this one narrow door that leads to life. Don't miss it. There is one, only one narrow door that leads to life. Let me talk through the text for a minute. And by the way, this guy's asking a question out of curiosity, and Jesus responds with urgency. This guy's curious. How many are going to be saved, Lord? How many are going to be delivered? And by the way, the word saved, um, it, just, it has to have along with it someone who is saving, someone who is delivering. How many people are going to be saved? Now, the guy that asked the question was probably Jewish, and the, Jew, the, the Jewish gentleman that asked the question in good faith believed already that all of the Jews were already saved, unless you were a really bad Jew, but everybody else was going to be excluded from salvation. Jesus turned that on his head when he said, I see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob later on in the text, and they're sitting around reclining at table with people from the north, the south, the east, and the west. There they are with, with a bunch of unclean Gentiles sitting at the table in heaven. This is amazing. Who's going to be saved? There are going to be some people that you think are saved, and they're not going to be saved, and there are some people that are going to shock you. He's saying that to this gentleman who thinks that only a certain group, only a certain nationality, only these very special chosen people of God, these ethnic people, these national people, they're the only ones that will be saved. Will anyone else make it? Jesus said the only way you'll be saved is if you go through the door. So, so there is only one narrow door that leads to life. He gives us a description of the door. It's clear in the text that it is a narrow door. It is a straight door. It is a clearly defined, unique door. It is a door that is unlike any other door. It stands out. It's not difficult to identify, but it is so narrow and so obscure that you could easily miss it or dismiss it as a door that is not desirable to go through. It is a restrictive door. You must enter it with nothing. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. After he described everything that he was beginning in verse number 2, but then he says, I counted it all as refuse. He said it three times. He, he doubled down on it. He kept repeating it. Let me, can I remind you that I counted all of this stuff as nothing that I might gain Christ? I want to go through the door. When I see and understand the door, I want to go through the door, so I want to forget about everything else. It's a narrow door. It is a restrictive door. 
but laying aside everything to go through the door is absolutely worth it. And according to Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 13, the text is telling us very clearly that he says in Matthew 7, 13, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So there is this narrow gate that few will go into. There is the, the narrow, secondly, he calls it a door. A door is an, is an entry way. It's an opportunity. It's a passageway. So, so how do you get into the Father's house? That's the question. That's what we're going to come to. How do you get into heaven? How do you get into the kingdom? You go through the door. And Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse number 9, I am the door. I am the door. And we can presume from what we find in the text that the door is open. The door has not yet been shut because he talks about a time when the door will be shut, but the door is apt to shut at any moment. And in Matthew chapter 25, verse number 10, it says, And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him. Those who were striving went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. We know the door was shut in Genesis chapter 7, and verse number 16 on the ark. So it is a narrow opening. It is currently opening, but is, it is apt to shut at any time. So let me give you a summary of this description of the door. There is one narrow door that leads to life. It is open, but soon to shut. It is narrow because it is Jesus Christ alone who is the door. And if you're going to go through that door, all else but Jesus Christ must be stripped away from your life. And all else must be stripped away and you can depend completely on Christ and nothing else to go through that door. That's the description of the door, but there's a clear command. He uses the word strive. Strive to enter that door. It is a command, but it is also an open invitation. Strive to enter the narrow door. Now, the word strive means to contend. It means to struggle. It's uh, literally uh, the Greek word is the word uh, agonize, where we get the word agonize from. He's saying agonize to enter through this door. What in the world is he saying? Is he saying that we work to be saved? Certainly we can go to Philippians chapter 2. Um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But that's not a verse that's talking about working to be saved because verse 13 says, for it is God who's at work in you both to will and to do of his, his good pleasure. So the work or that, that comes out of my life is not my human self-effort. It's not my performance. It's not, performance, it's not my self-righteousness. The work that is coming out of me is what Christ has put in me by his spirit. For it is God who is at work in you. I am working out what he has worked in. So he's not talking about when he says striving to, to somehow work and your works are going to get you through that door. Here's what I believe he means. I believe he's telling us to strive or agonize over the doors that are before us. Strive or agonize over the doors that are before us. He's saying you need to think deeply. You need to think carefully. Many will say to you, here is life. Here is life. Come through this door. And we just go through the door. I'm reminded of 
Proverbs chapter 5 and Proverbs chapter 7 where there is a simpleton and he hears a woman calling him, come this way, come this way, come to my house. Nobody's there. I've been looking for you all your life. And that guy's just walking around and all of a sudden he hears the voice and he forgot everything that he was doing and now he's following this woman to her house. And that's the way we are about our religious beliefs. That's the way we are about what we think life is. There are going to be people that are calling out to us and saying, here is the door. Come through this door. And I believe when he's telling us to strive, he's telling us to live as though it is highly possible and very probable that you could have entered or you're being entertained or you're being enticed by the wrong door. Don't ever put your spiritual life on autopilot. Don't ever think that you have it all figured out. For heaven's sake... And I want to say, don't ever think you have all the answers, but I have to be honest with you. I'm the dumbest guy in every room I go in. I'm not a real confident guy. You could make me doubt something that I saw on a video. Okay? I'm just not. And everywhere I go, somebody's watched a 45-second TikTok video, and they've got all the answers throughout human history. It is absolutely amazing. All the philosophical solutions throughout human history. And therefore, we know everything, and we have all of the answers. I want to stand before you and say, I don't have the answers. In fact, there were a lot of things that I thought I knew. There are a lot of things that I thought I believed that I don't believe now. There are a lot of things that I thought were right that I don't think are right now. There are a lot of things that I thought were wrong that I don't think are wrong now. Believe it or not, but I'm changing. I'm, I'm transforming. When I got saved, I was not completely 100% in the image of Jesus Christ. I didn't know everything that was in the Bible. I still don't know everything that is in the Bible. But can I, can I just share something with you? You don't either. You don't either. None of us does. But what we do is we get to this level of, of knowledge and comfort, and we got, it, we got it right, we've got it figured out, and, and we've got all the answers. So, so we're not struggling, we're not contending, we're not striving. And my dear friend, you may have walked right through the wrong door. And you may be putting your faith in someone or something that is not Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The third thing from the text is this, how do you enter the door? He tells those who didn't enter the door, depart from me, I never knew you. So we must conclude that the way that we get through the door is by knowing Christ. And it's not just your common word for no, it's a little short four-letter word, I know. And, and he, he says, uh, or, or this word can be described, or knowing Christ can be described as, as an awareness that leads to knowledge that results in a response. An awareness that leads to knowledge or knowing that results in a response. Seeing that becomes knowing that is responsive. Now, the question is this. If we know Christ, how do we respond? How do we respond? And here's what we can say from Scripture and from some pointers in this text. Number one, if we know Christ, we will repent. We will repent. That's why the door is narrow. You need to repent. You need to shed yourself of all the baggage, all the sin that you're carrying. Repent of your sin and come to Christ. Leave your sin behind. Secondly, you need to receive Jesus Christ by faith. 
You need to trust him. You need to call upon his name and say, Lord, I trust you. I believe in you. I rest in you. Thirdly, you need to rest in the finished work of Christ, not your performance. Your knees shouldn't be shaken that you haven't done enough. Your knees shouldn't be shaken that you've been too bad. Your heart should be resting and you should be relaxing in what Christ has done. You should never have to say if you are resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you should never have to say, I hope I make it. I hope I make it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I'm trusting Jesus Christ. And he has paid the penalty for my sin, and he has risen victorious, and he tells me that I have been set free and that I will have victory because of his victory, because I've walked through the door and I'm resting in Christ's finished work. He says not only is there going to be resting, but there's going to be this reclining at table. We're going to be uh, hanging out with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to be hanging out with the unwashed masses of the Gentiles. And it's going to be shocking. We're going to be partying with the patriarchs if we go through the door. How do we respond if we see and know we repent, we receive, we rest, we recline, and we relate? Jesus says, I know you. I recognize you. How do I know you and recognize you? You, you saw me, you knew me, and you responded to me. I came and I walked among you and you responded and believed in me. This text offers to each of us an invitation. There is an open door and Jesus Christ is the only way into the Father's house. You say, well, I'll tell you what, Brother Mark, I, I, I am a, I'm a Baptist. I was Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. And I know I'm going to get in because I'm a Baptist. And I just want to tell you that that's, that's, not, that's not necessarily true. You say, well, I'll tell you what, I, I follow the writings of John Calvin, and I've read, the Cal I've read Calvin's Institute. Jesus can't be wrong, but Calvin can. You say, well, I'm, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Wesleyan, and I'm just, I believe everything the Methodist church has told me to believe. Well, Jesus can't be wrong, but, but Wesley can be wrong. You could say, well, I, I, I follow Wayne Grudem, and I, and I follow Horton and Hodge and Warfield and, and, uh, and Machen and, and Goldsworthy and, and R.C. And, and J. Mack and, and, and John Piper. I follow the whole crowd. They could be wrong. They really could. Don't, don't kick back and relax because, because you got somebody's systematic theology hanging on your shelf and you know it frontwards and back. Jesus Christ is the way. All these people can be wrong. Don't think you're okay because you believe what some dead man told you to believe. I'm challenging you this morning to walk through the narrow door and Jesus alone is the door. And you can only get into the Father's house through him. So there is only one narrow door that leads to life. Secondly, many will look for life through another door, but will find death. Many will look for life through another door, but will find death. Many are seeking. That's what he tells us in the text. He says, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter, but will not be able. Many will look for life through another door, but will find death. Many are seeking. The word seeking means searching or desiring. Many are seeking what their soul tells them they need in the Father's house, but they're trying to get there through another door. And the text is saying, you're not going to get it. 
you're not going to make it. You will not be able to get to the Father's house. You, and anybody that is promising you anything that resembles the Father's house, if anybody is promising you anything apart from eternity separated from God in hell, if anybody is promising you anything but that apart from Jesus Christ, they are a bald-faced liar. They just are. Many are seeking and searching, but they will not get into the Father's house because they're trying to go through another door. There is coming a time when the narrow door will be shut. The word shut means slammed. The door is going to be slammed shut suddenly, surprisingly, quickly, just like the door on the ark. And once the narrow door is shut, then some people are going to say, once the narrow door is shut, then some people are going to say, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I have, I, I'm supposed to be in the Father's house. I'm supposed to be there. Let me tell you why I'm supposed to be there, because I went and listened to you preach, Jesus. Let me tell you, I'm supposed to be there. I, I went to a fellowship dinner, Jesus. Uh, we had a meal together. We, we took communion. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in, in Philippians chapter 3. If you said, Paul, before he came to Christ, if you said, Paul, are you a believer? And Paul would say, yes. Paul, are you going to heaven? Paul would say, yes. Paul, are you going to the Father's house? Paul would say, yes. Why would he say, yes? Listen to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3. For we are, well, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was circumcised. I was in, I was, I'm in the covenant, right? I was circumcised. I was of the people of Israel. I'm an Israelite. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's going down his list. He's got this long list of things that he's done. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul has got a resume that none of us could absolutely compare to. But Paul tells us in Philippians 3, notice this. He said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He said in verse number 3, for we are the circumcision. Who are, who's the circumcision? who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. These people were coming with a list of things saying, I should be in the kingdom. I should be in the Father's house. Why? I should be in the Father's house because I have this resume. I have a right to be in there because of my religious affiliation. I have a right to be there because of my ritualistic activities. I have a right to be there because I've taken communion. I have a right to be there, Jesus, because I know you socially. I have a right to be there because I've identified with you publicly. I've worn the T-shirts. I've got the bumper sticker. I've got a cross hanging on my car windshield. I've got the rosary. I've got the sign of the cross. I listen to your crusades. I listen to your podcast. I've got personal holiness. On and on and on we could go. But the master says, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. Because they trusted everything but Christ to make it through the door. Nobody has an in with Jesus Christ. No credentials. No privileged status. 
no leverage to warrant preferential treatment. It's as clear as day in the Word of God. Familiarity with Jesus or the ability to navigate the Jesus idea academically or socially will not get us through the door. Those who reject the narrow door will regret it for all eternity. I'm I'm looking at at Revelation chapter 6 and... um, Listen, listen to what Revelation 6, verses 15 to 17 says. It says, Then the king of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and every one, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Folks, if you don't go through the narrow door, Jesus is the narrow door. You will stand face to face with the wrath of God and it will be unbearable. He says there's going to be weeping in the text that we're looking at this morning. There's going to be in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's going to be a terrible place. And you're going to look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and you're going to see all the Gentiles with them. You're going to see how did they make it? Why did they make it? Because they went through the narrow door. He says in verse number 30, it's interesting, behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. What is he he's saying there? And I, I love this, this quote by Dale Ralph Davis. He said, fewer than one would expect. How many will be saved? He's answering the question. How many will be saved? Fewer than one would expect and more than one would imagine. Fewer than one would expect. The first will be last and more than one would imagine. The last will be first. It's going to be shocking. And everybody that is there is there because they entered through the narrow door. The third thing we see in the text is this. There is no life apart from the death of Jesus Christ. That's what he's getting at in verses 31 to 33. He basically is saying, and we read it about uh, Herod. Herod, here's what he said. Herod is no credible threat to the mission of God. Herod is no credible threat to the mission of God. Herod's going to kill you. Jesus is like, I'm not worried about Herod. Herod is a fox. Herod is weak. Herod is sly. Herod is sneaky, but he's insignificant. On the grand uh, canvas of human history, Herod is nothing compared to the mission of God. Nothing will thwart the mission of God The narrow door is open because of the third day. The narrow door is open because Jesus Christ came to Jerusalem and Jesus Christ laid down his life. Jesus Christ was killed on a cross and the tomb is empty because Jesus Christ rose again from the grave. And when we trust in him, we have his victory in our life. The narrow door is open because of Christ finished work. The third day is mentioned over and over again in Luke 9, 22, and in Luke 18, 33, and in Luke 24, 7, and in Luke 24, 46. There is this narrow door, and there is this third day, and it points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus essentially said. I'm doing my work right now, and while the threat from Herod is plausible, after all, he did kill John the Baptist, nothing, not even Herod, is going to stop my work. Nothing is going to be able to stop me from reaching the the triumph that will be mine and that will be those who are mine who come through the narrow door through my resurrection. The fourth thing we see in the text is this. Jesus longs for us to find life in him. 
Let me just give you the four points. I'm almost done. The, there is only one narrow door that leads to life. That's number one. Number two, many will look for life through another door, but will find death. If you are looking for life in anything else but Jesus Christ, you are going to be sorely disappointed. Thirdly, there is no life apart from the death of Jesus Christ. He's going to Jerusalem, and he's going to die, and he's going to be raised on the third day. And then finally, Jesus longs for us to find life in him. Jesus Christ longs for us to find life in him. That's, that's what he's doing when he stands here in verse 34 and says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. These people, every time the word of God was given to them, they rejected it. Every time the prophets came to them, they killed them. They hated them. That is their history. That is their history. But here Jesus Christ is walking on the scene saying, I longed to care for you like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you weren't willing. And he says, behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There is, uh, there's a lot of eschatological significance tied to some of the phrases and it very well may completely uh, be completely accurate but at the end of the day here's what i want you to hear from this text and here's what i believe jesus is getting at in the big picture here is the narrow door here is the narrow door i longed as i left heaven and came to earth and walked among men and looked them in the eyeball and touched them and walked with them and laughed with them and ate with them and loved them and performed miracles before them and gave them food and raised the dead. I long for those people who saw me while I was here on earth. And I long for those people who rejected the prophets and the word of God throughout their history. I long for these people to see me as the narrow door. Jesus Christ longs today for you to see him as the narrow door. He longs for you to see him as the only door that leads to eternal life. He longs for you to see that if you're being enticed by or listening to or tempted by any other door, that you may think it's fun and you may think it's thrilling and you may think it's cool and the world may applaud you and everybody around you may love you you're going to wake up one day in a terrible place separated from a holy god you can only be saved through jesus christ and his finished work the narrow door he is the narrow door he longs for you to clearly see him and enter now secondly he longs for you to see him clearly and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118 is about a, a king who was um, threatened, who was in distress, who had problems. But all of a sudden we see in Psalm 118 all the way through it that Yahweh comes to deliver this king who is in distress. And in verse 26, when Yahweh has delivered the king who is in distress, those who are around the king, once they see that he is victorious, say about the king, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ longs, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's coming back to judge. But his hope is that everybody will see that he is the narrow door and he is the only way to salvation. And when we see him, and I hope you can say it today, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord because he is victorious. He is triumphant. 
There is no way to victory. There is no way to triumph. There is no way to life except Jesus Christ, the narrow door. At the beginning of the text, it says, will the saved be few? That's a great question. Jesus flipped it around and basically said this, will the saved be you? Will the saved be you? That is what Jesus Christ pushes the crowd to consider from this text. And that's what he pushes us to consider from this text. There are a lot of doors, many that make more sense, that offer more in the present, that are more attractive and appealing. And those doors are pulling at your soul. Those doors are pulling at your soul. But there is only one narrow open door. And his name is Jesus Christ. Come into the Father's house this morning. I don't know what you think you were created for. I hope you came over here this morning so I could tell you. You were created to be in relationship and fellowship with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. And your soul absolutely will find no rest and no peace and no joy until you are in that relationship and in that fellowship and in that community with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And the way you get in is through the narrow door. I beg you this morning to come through the narrow door.